Welcome back, everybody, to Screenfish Radio. I am so glad you could join us this week as we are talking about a film that is pretty intense. Um, we're talking about Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. And to talk about a film of this quality, I had to get guests of a high quality. And I am thrilled to have <laughs> back uh, friends to the show, Robert Bellissimo from Robert Bellissimo at the Movies and Dave Voigt from In the Seats. Thank you, gentlemen, for, for chatting with me. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for Thank having you. us, brother. Thanks so much for having me back. Uh, gentlemen, I'm, I'm so grateful to have you back on. And, and I think we're going to have a great conversation about this film because it certainly demands a conversation. Um, uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale stars Brendan Fraser as Charlie, an obese and reclusive English teacher who stays at home and hides away in his apartment. His life is beginning to come to an end. He attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter for one last chance at redemption. And as always, this film is rated S for spoilers. Uh, but gentlemen, I would like to hear from you what you thought of The Whale. Dave, go ahead. All right, well, <laughs> I mean... It's a fun ride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's it's really quite a unique experience because I mean, rarely in cinema do we get a story with characters who are almost entirely unsympathetic, but it's still very compelling all at the same time. I mean, when you when you really get into the meat of this story, the bulk of these characters are not good people. They're just not for for their own varying different reasons but you are still sort of entranced by i mean not only fraser's performance which i think is like 98 percent the core of this film to be perfectly honest mm. but just the the surroundings of it because it's again we're seeing the story of this guy who again, like I said, is not a nice person, but is faced with his own mortality is, is which what's let's be fate. Let's face it was brought on by his own hand is looking for some sort of redemption anywhere he can. I mean, that's both heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's not, it's not sad if that makes any sense. Like, to watching this story unfold was very complex because, I mean, you want to cry, but you also know that so many of these people in this film don't deserve your sympathy. It, it makes for a very sort of interesting dynamic as you're watching it. I, I really want to explore that, and not just yet, because that is a great statement. That is a fascinating statement. That so many of these people do not deserve your sympathy, and yet they have it, I think is what, if what, if what you said. But uh, Rob, Robert, what do you, what about you? Well, I, I was glad, first of all, I could see it. Because as I told you both, <laughs> and, for, and for your audience, I'm sitting in varsity. Suddenly, we're in the previews and the lights just go off. And I figured it was the projection, something, the, the, something that happened with the, in the projection booth. I look up there. No one's in there. It's pitch black. 
I go out in the hallways. It's a to- It was actually not just in the theater. It was all around Bay and Bloor. <laughs> and so, of course, you know, I couldn't help but laugh thinking, is this because I've been streaming so long? You know, I've been, I mean, I've, I, I don't go to the cinema as much as I, I like. I mean, we are spoiled with, with, you know, instant streamer, even though I know the cinematic experience is very different and better in a lot of ways. So, <laughs> first of all, I'm glad I went yesterday again and the power did not go out luckily so i did get to see it um i had mixed feelings uh, about it i it's not that i i mean i like i loved the story i loved what they were exploring in terms of redemption and you know you have we have this homophobia is a big part of it and trying to patch up relationships that have deteriorated and gone sour um of course the in his case he's addicted to food the the food addiction there's there's so religion it's it's a really compelling story it was it was i mean my problem often i mean i aronofsky he made one of my favorite films this century the wrestler which is one of the best films I've seen this century. I find he's he's very intellectual and he he relies on motifs often to tell his story. So here the, the big motif is the Moby Dick uh, analogy with the essay that his daughter wrote, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But there's also the challenges. We have a lot of exposition. A lot of it is, you know, if you look at the interactions, they're talking about things that have happened, uh, which is hard because for maybe it's a more enriching experience the second time because you're you're just hearing and trying to catch up on everything. And I felt he was really shoving everything down your throat in in a lot of ways. There were there were some ambiguous moments which I liked particularly uh early part of the film where he's googling you know congestive heart failure i believe and then at the same time he looks out the window at this bird and then he stops uh eating you know because he's shoving food he's going back and forth between googling and and putting more and more chocolate bars down his throat and then this you know so it's like well that's interesting and they actually never explain that but there are enough suggestions that people can open up an interpretation to it but I, a lot, and also a lot of the emotion in the film, and I know that was the point, is a lot of it's anger, it's anger, it's anger, and 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 sadness. But again, I understand because because of what's happened to these people, there everyone is so jaded, everyone is so angry, everyone is so out for blood or out for revenge. Um, and 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 Fraser is the the guy trying to to get everybody to see that people are you know, wonderful. And, and I mean, he's almost like a spiritual guide in the film for, <laughs> for all the other people, because he is trying to make amends with his daughter. But I just felt, you know, when I leave a movie like this, I'm thinking, what did these motifs mean? What does this mean? Instead of just really being able to see the characters interact and unfold, um, that that to me would have would, I mean I I prefer I mean I think that's just a much more emotional experience uh, rather than sort of just being being thrown the story at you all this exposition the the motifs 
Um, and think, I mean, the ending, I, I really I did not like the way with the, with, I mean, I'm sorry if you guys liked it, but when he's, he's walking towards her and then she smiles and he's, and he basically dies then and he lifts up and he's cut to the beach. Um, it's just, it's just, again, it's, he's cutting through the emotion. He's making it easy for the audience. Uh, because at the end of the day, what she wanted him to die, right? And so he uses the Moby, Moby Dick motif to make that a softer experience for the audience. Um, I mean, I think really we, they could have got, this could have been even dark. I would have went darker with that. I would have really put the audience through that um, in, a, in, a, in a different way. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I, again, it's not that I didn't like it because I did. But I may, maybe now that I've just connected enough of the dots here, the second time might be, I think would be a better experience. Because again, it's a very interesting story and characters. And I mean, I have a lot, I mean, I don't want to go on and on because I have, a, I have, you know, I have more to say, but, but that was generally my experience. I don't know how both of you felt, but that was, that was generally how I felt about it. Well, that, that's really funny because Aronofsky is known for his subtlety. So, um, you know, when you think of his filmmaking, well, I thought that would get a laugh from either of you because that is obviously not the case, but <laughs> dead air. No, I thought you were uh, serious. I was like, what? No, 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 no. Yeah, he is uh, not subtle. <laughs> no, Sledge, sledgehammers are more subtle than a lot of uh, Aaron yeah. work. work. Um, that I, I will tell you, that's one of the things I liked about this film, because I'm always intrigued by Aronofsky. And I like that you talk about he uses a lot of metaphors. He does. He does. But he didn't write this. You know, you know, I felt like this was an opportunity for Aronofsky to be himself, but but fenced in a little bit. You know, I'm sure he could have gone in and, and you know, I'm sure there were, were some changes. I was, I was saying before we start recording that Hunter... Hunter said that a lot of it was was left uh, left the way that it was for the stage play, and 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 you're right, Robert. was saying before, it does feel like a stage play. Um, but when your last film is Mother, um, this is this is this is subtle compared to to Mother or even Noah. Everything is subtle compared to Mother. <laughs> I still Maybe have to see that. It's I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, actually, well, the only films. I have it. The only films of his I haven't seen are Noah and Mother. I've seen all his films. I have not seen those two. Oh. Um, but that's always by, like, he's, he's, you know, I, I, saw, I heard an interview with him and William Friedkin, and I love Friedkin, William Friedkin after Mother. And, you know, Friedkin's a smart guy. He's a filmmaker. And he was, and he was pointing out all the metaphors in it. And then uh, Aronofsky's like, yeah, you got it. And I'm thinking, well, is this an essay? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against metaphors in film. I mean, meta metaphors are all over films, but the problem is when they're used as much as Aronofsky uses them, he's, he's providing a shortcut. He's making it an easier experience, which is, which is sounds like a contradiction because it is a tough film in a lot of ways, but I think it's an even tougher film <laughs> than, than perhaps he communicated it because like I said, the, the Moby Dick metaphor of this, this uh, that, that she wrote, that you find out his daughter wrote, I mean, he introduces it off the top and you're like, okay, clearly this essay is calming him down. And then you find out at the end what it's about. And this, this, this metaphor about this, you know, the, oh, you know, he thinks that killing the whale 
is going to make his life better. And I feel sorry for, for him. So he's trying to get her back to that person who cares about others, who has compassion for others. And clearly the metaphor is that he's the whale and she is the one out to kill the whale. You know, you see early on when she's like, walk towards me and he falls. I took that as the hope that he was going to crack his head open. I mean, she even says to him in the film, just die already. Like she, you know, um, so, but by, by, you know, again, he's using, he's using shortcuts, which um, I, it's just, it's just not my taste. Um, I, I, it's just, it, for me, it's, uh, it would, it's too easy to go, to go that way. Um, but that, that's just me. I mean, I know some people like that. I do like it sometimes, uh, as long as it's maybe complimenting more, uh, you know, more of the interactions and having, having the audience participate more in, in, in having things a little more open-ended. I just felt he really told you everything about these people and there was, there's just no room for anyone to be like, you know, okay, like, <laughs> it's actually a really simple story at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I found. I don't know if you both found that, but that was my feeling. Once you really think about it, it's pretty simple. I, I mean, I, I want to hear from Dave on this. I, I thought the structurally, I think that's a good point. Just to respond to your idea of simplicity, I would... I would point out too that the metaphor of Moby Dick is still one of the most debated topics in literature because there's so many things people still debate what the whale is right uh, in Moby Dick. So it's not I mean even even those who have been studying the book still feel like there's a lot of complexity in that metaphor even though it is you know it, so I think there's something there. I don't I don't know Dave what do you think about that? Is well, it a, I mean Structurally, I would agree with you, Robert. I mean, it is a very simple story, but on the other hand, I mean, just even harkening back to sort of the end of the movie where he, you know, dies. Yeah. To me, that was his final delusion. That wasn't this sort of this sort of happier, I've been redeemed, I'm going to heaven kind of moment. This was this was him believing that. This was his self-delusion. Because let's remember who this character was. He was this, you know, educator who, you know, fell in love with a young boy and then left his family and then selfishly pushed them aside and did all this other stuff. This was his last final delusion of him redeeming. This was him trying to redeem himself. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah, because it's funny that he thought <laughs> he thought his his daughter, you know, because the the evangelical character who's coming to quote unquote save Brendan Fraser's character. Um, he he thought that that she helped him, <laughs> which I was like, really? <laughs> you know, I just thought it was it was funny that he, because he's such an optimist. You know, he even says to Samantha Morton, uh, "Well, you're the pessimist, I'm the optimist, and we balance each other out in the marriage." And yeah, yeah that's a good point, Dave. It's true. I mean, may, maybe it was meant to be comical uh, it, because you're right. It was it was so ridiculous that he honestly believed that she, you know, he got through to her. Uh, I think he got through to her because of just the essay, just saying, look at what you wrote. And then she, you see, I mean, I thought that was a great moment. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't think, I, I mean, he's, I mean, I guess it's open. I mean, it maybe is a little more open to interpretation than I thought, but I think you're, 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 you got something there, Dave, which is, which is that, 
he is just trying to make himself believe something that is not really necessarily true. Because, I mean, let's look at all these characters. I mean, you know, the daughter screwed up some Samantha Morton. <laughs> obviously has gone through her problems in dealing with the daughter and the separation the broke the breaking up of the family brendan fraser as we hear his backstory he is not necessarily the nicest person in the world the one character in this entire film who is seemingly a good person is hong chow's character as the nurse yeah i liked so, her evangelical kid to everybody else everyone has their own agendas and everyone's kind of horrible but she's there trying to help this guy who is very obviously killing himself yeah what i what i liked was see i i because when the film started i thought oh this is going to be really good because i what i i love the 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 complicity of their uh complexity sorry of their um relationship because she's lecturing him about how he's eating and then she turns around and gives him you know buckets of fried chicken and I, I thought to myself, that is so true, because I, I, uh, I know people in a similar situation. And, and, and it, it, it's like an addict. It's like saying, you know, well, here's your drugs because you're suffering and I don't know what else to do. Um, and, and so she, you know, she just doesn't know what else to do. And it, and it's from a place of love. You of know, course, it's like, yeah. well, uh, you know, I, I thought that was so good. I thought, and I thought that was really true from my, from what I've seen in people in these kind of experiences. I thought that was really interesting. And she continues to do it. Like, first of all, I think she's yeah. brilliant in this film. Just yeah. They, I've I, never I, seen her in anything else, but did you I see thought downsizing? she was great. Did you see downsizing? I didn't. I, oh. I know they shot that here in Toronto, but I haven't seen that. It, it's, I think it's underrated but it's not a phenomenal, like it's not, nobody's going to remember it at the end of Matt Damon's career, but it was for the time, I thought it was a little, I thought it was underrated, but it's because okay. of her. She's, she's awesome in that film. Um, and, uh, and it, actually I had, I hadn't seen her anything else since then. So I was kind of like, I remember thinking like, whatever happened to her? Um, right. So this was good. I think the cast across the board in this film is incredible. I don't. Oh, like, I agree. Yeah, everyone, agree. everyone's remarkable. Um, I had not picked up on that, Dave. Actually, that is really interesting that you said that about his final delusion. Because I had not thought about. I I think Frazier's work here, like I I admit it, I'm full blown Brendansance or or Brennesance or whatever. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> the Brendansance. <laughs> yeah, whatever they're calling it. I'm I'm on the train. I bought my ticket. I'm sitting I'm sitting in the in the front seat. You know, waving the flag. I love it because it's like I mean I think Colin Farrell has had a phenomenal year, and I don't necessarily I, I'm I'm not taking anything away from his work, but I think Fraser's work in this he 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 elevates this film to something, and. There are little things he does throughout the film that make you forget that it's the guy from The Mummy. You know, there's just little yeah. things. There's these little moments. I love that scene where he's Googling, you know, like you said, he's Googling heart failure and then he, he's diving into the candy drawer. Um, yeah. And he's, you know, or or just like, oh man, there there are these moments where he he turns on laughter. Like when she sort of, 
he teases her at the beginning and he, he has this sort of infectious laugh. Yeah. Yeah. In this reprehensible like scenario, just sad, but there's always, there's just something about him all the way through that carries. Now I'm again, I'm not taking anything away from Farrell's work. I think fair, you know, with the Oscars coming up, I, I think Farrell is going to have any number of other times that Farrell's going to be there. I don't know if you're ever going to see Frazier, Brendan Fraser, give a performance like this. Mm. And I mean, you have to understand the, the the arc of what he's been through as well. Because remember, Brendan, Fra like Hollywood tried to dispose of Brendan Fraser. Yeah. And he's come back to Hollywood as playing a man who's trying to dispose of himself. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's funny because it's it's it reminds me of the wrestler in the sense that Mickey Rourke since then hasn't done anything nearly as good like like that I can think of like nothing. Uh, I mean that was you know it'd be interesting to see what happens with Brandon. Maybe you don't wear. Maybe your comeback is not with Aronofsky. <laughs> maybe that's a bad luck thing later. Um, but, but I mean, also you got to redefine the comeback as well because I mean even when you look at somebody like Mickey Rourke. He, he he's working. Is he doing a oh, lot of crap? That's, that's yes, a good point. but that's he's good. working. That's true. He wasn't really working before that. He was starting to again yeah. in the early two thousands. But uh, that's a good point. That's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we see similarities in this film and the wrestler, of course, with the daughter, with the father and daughter broken relationship. So so clearly, Aronofsky is interested in that. And and one thing I've noticed. Uh, is that his protagonists often die? They learn, they get somewhere, <laughs> and they and they um, they die, which is interesting because in this film, um, one thing I was thinking uh, was about the fact that he says early on that he he he's not going to go to the hospital because he doesn't have any life insurance. Of course, we're in America here, Idaho, um, and he doesn't have any life insurance. Then you find out he has a hundred grand, but he wants that hundred grand for his daughter, so. Which I thought was interesting because I thought, well, if your if your goal is to connect with your daughter and you you he I think he really believes he can help her. Wouldn't you get better so that you'll be around so you can keep working on this with her? Or maybe it's more complicated than that because maybe he maybe he truly doesn't believe he can he can uh, stop eating, and so he oh, figures, well, oh, he thinks he's he thinks he's past redemption. I mean, based on the death of the boyfriend. Yeah just sort of everything that he's done in his life like, like to me it was very clear that he thinks he's past redemption period yeah yeah he's just trying to do like he says one good thing so he's he's willing to just die and even then um, his definition of a good thing it's not you know it's not necessarily the best thing right right but again i thought which i thought was strange because it's like okay so you're you'd rather choose just death now even though your goal here is to get with your daughter i mean even if you got through to her now you're going to be gone tomorrow i mean she's 17 she's going to need you for a number you know for a lot of time no, but i mean it, it, it goes back to the inherent selfishness of the character and sort of the what we've seen him do in the past and i mean oh, this is right. just that's true yeah that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because it's it's interesting because you you know you said something Dave earlier that I thought was it was true because these characters are not really likable, 
but yet, I mean, Fraser is so, I mean, he's very uh, even tempered his character as well, which during it, I thought, well, this guy who's done, you know, why is he so even, but he's also very well educated, you know, not that that makes a difference with, in terms of temper, te uh, you know, temperament. And I, I, he, he is, he was around till this child was eight. And he's been working with a lot of young people. So it made sense to me that he was able to talk to her well. Because I thought, well, this, he seems, he knows how to talk to kids. But, uh, but at the same time, it's those eyes of Fraser. I mean, he's got, I mean, I thought it was perfect casting. I, I read Aronofsky for years, didn't know who to pick. Uh, that's why they couldn't, they didn't do it for a long time. Because he has these puppy dog eyes and, and you just, your heart goes out to him. I mean, I did really find like, that I I was on you know I was rooting for him you know I did I I, I think you're right like in 98 percent of this is that performance and I, I think Aronofsky was right to wait to find the right person it, you know it's funny well first of all two things I I can't let it pass Robert that you said that Mickey Rourke is doing nothing because he did make Iron Man too and I think <laughs> where he talks well, not to, nothing. I mean, I think what Dave oh, said makes more sense. He's working, I mean, you know, but <laughs> surely it's like close to the wrestler. No, I'm kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> talking to his bird. <laughs> no. Um, but you know what, what I, what drives me nuts when people talk about, I mean, I guess this is the case with so many, so many performances. When we talk about Brennan Fraser, so many times they talk about, oh, you know, what was it like being in the prosthetics and stuff like that? To me, his performance, like, it doesn't matter what he looks like in that makeup, because his performance, like you said, there's something that shines through yeah. like, every moment. And, um, you know, I would even wonder, it, it's funny, because I'd like to talk about, about his character a little bit. Um, that, like, it's interesting, because you talk about him wanting to reconnect with his daughter. I think he just feels like his life is past. I don't know if that's self. I think... The money for him is is his way of setting setting up the next generation to be better than he was. I think. I don't know. But I mean she it's funny because of all the characters, she's easily, in my opinion, probably the most reprehensible. Um, well maybe his maybe his ex-wife, because there's very little like good in her. But I don't know. They're they they all of them, all of them are so broken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, you know, there, there, this is a world, I, I, I don't think it's, I mean, Aronofsky loves the rain, or he loves, he loves the weather. I, I think that's come up. And I, I don't think it's insignificant that it's raining the entire time. You know, this is a world that just kind of sucks. And it's funny, I, I would also say this too, because I, I'm trying to say these points up because you guys are making some great points. I'm just trying to throw little things in here because I didn't want to interrupt you. In some ways, I see these four movies as a trilogy because I think you've got The Wrestler. I think you've got Mother and Noah, which are almost one movie. And then you've got this one because Mother and Noah are this, are, are you can tell, are cathartic scriptural, scriptural rage. From It's just sort of like, I need to, I, I have all these feelings and I don't. But you've, you've bookended with the whale and, and the wrestler. It's this fascinating mix. Um, but but I, I want to go back to characters. Because we have all these people, and every, I think we all agree, 
they're hard to like characters but but fraser or sorry charlie his biggest line the biggest moment in the film in some ways is him saying people are amazing uh, the actual line if i get it right here let me make sure do you ever get the feeling that people are incapable of not helping? People are amazing. But we live in a time when we are realizing that so many people are not amazing. <laughs> I'm just wondering what you think of that, of, of that, because that is a, that is a hammer moment for the film. I just, I need, I wondered what you thought. Well, I mean, I I, I mean, I, I mean, I love the line too, but I mean, in many ways, I think it almost speaks to Aronofsky's entire catalog. And I mean, it's something that really has been an overarching theme through so many of his works and particularly here. It's, it's really a commentary on how societally we could be very, we can treat people as disposable things. Mm. and just how we do that and how we devalue people and how we sort of ignore people and that, a lot of that comes through in so many of his different films but I mean especially here and I mean to me I think the like to me one of the bigger moments of this film like sort of going on that arch was was Charlie's last class mm. when he turns on the camera yeah, and let them see him because to me like that was his sort of self-reflective moment of like to me that was more impactful as an emotional moment than it was sort of the quote-unquote <clears throat> it was him refusing yeah. to be sort of disposed of or sort of predetermined or thought of anymore it was him sort of owning who he was for better or for worse well, what I like, what I like so much about that was here was a guy who not only is choosing to hide now because he's morbidly obese and he, you know, he doesn't let anybody inside, hardly anybody other than these few people, but also as, as a gay man and Idaho is a very, very right wing state. Yeah. And so he also had to hide. So, and you know, his cameras off. So he's, he's been hiding his whole life and at this thing of like, let's be honest, finds he just wants honesty and so he's sick of the, the the hiding and the lies and the you know of course the connection with the church that he was involved in i thought that was really and it was interesting that as soon as he shows himself he then smashes the the, the computer which is i think it i think he, it scared him that he was able to open up to everyone in in that moment that, that he just you know, he just obliterated his computer. But I, I, I found that really uh, appealing. Every now and then you see them, uh, clearly this takes place in 2016 because they're they're watching the primaries on television. Right, right. And I, I like, you know, Ted Cruz and who or Donald Trump is going to win. And I like how no one's really interested. Like they're, they just look at it and they're like, whatever. Because for them, it's like, these are just people that are, gonna hurt them you know yeah. or or who cares it's just another thing on tv so i i found that quite that was a part of it that i really liked yeah that yeah that is interesting because the outside world in this one 
like I said, the rain is is telling. It's just a place of damage. Like him mm-hmm. staying in that in that apartment, other than his actual mobility, is self protective, right? So much of it is self protective, um, and you've got you've got the primaries happening around you. And I, I, you know what? I hadn't even picked up on that. No one's batting an eyelash. Yeah. They're just like that. You see like he cuts to them watching, but it's kind of like, meh, whatever. They were pretty neutral, uh, which I thought, which again, I thought that was, that was really, that was really interesting. And um, I, 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 I'm curious what you both thought about the bird outside. Cause I love the bird. You know, and he lifts a plate of food for the bird, and the bird is also what stops him at a certain point from eating. Um, I thought I saw that as he he felt that was uh, his boyfriend, you know, come into the form of this bird. Uh, I you know because every now and then people notice the plate or notice the bird, and then they they just go back into into the next scene or the next moment. But that I don't know how you I that I love that. I don't know how you guys felt about that. It, it was his one unjudgmental contact with the outside world. Yeah. That's oh true. Yeah. So much solace in it. It was the one contact with the outside world that he had which wasn't judging him. Right. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I I oh I love that. That's a good way. I I, I just saw it as his his way to try and contribute positively to someone that needed his help. Um, you know, I, I hadn't thought of it as his boyfriend, but yes, he, like, I just thought he was trying to just do, so, he, like, he's trying to do, he says, I need to know before I die, I need to do one good thing. And obviously that one good thing is not feeding a bird apple slices. <laughs> right. But I think he's looking for that. He's looking for that thing. Like I have to do something. I need to know that I've done one thing right with my life is the line. Um, which is crazy to me because, you know, he, he did this thing of damage. I let, oh man, you know, Dave, you mentioned about people being disposable. He did this thing, he, he hurt people, he caused damage. But is he disposable after that? Like here, it is funny to me that in this film, the thing that drives people nuts the most is his optimism. You know, obviously, <laughs> like yes. Hong Chow, maybe you could talk, like she wants to see him make some better decisions. Of course, there's that. But like his wife flat out said, you know, that positivity that's so annoying. You know, it's like, ah. Oh, Stop seeing good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's not seeing good in himself. He's seeing good around. He's trying, he's like, he's trying to externalize that. Yeah. 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 No, he's ultimately self-destructive. I mean, that's where the, that, I mean, I'm no expert on why someone may become obese or in his case, morbidly obese, but, you know, Marlon Brando, as we all know, got, really 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 big and he said in his memoir you know my parents were alcoholics and I was addicted to food mm-hmm. so his pain went into food and you know this whole there's I, I I'm not there's one thing I was curious what you guys thought was that you know some of these art some of these 
people have been writing that this film is fat, uh, fat of, what's the word, shaming fat people. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how you can watch this and think that. I don't know how, I, and I agree with Aronofsky. He was like, I don't know what these people are talking about uh, because I didn't get that at all. I mean, I thought it was quite empathetic as to why someone could, um, I mean, you know, I mean, he is, he is more like, you know, he's about to die. I mean, he cannot walk. Um, this is, it's an addiction. I mean, I think if he was an alcoholic, no one would be saying, oh God, you're making fun of alcoholics. You know, I don't think anyone would have said that. I don't know how you guys felt. It almost to me in many ways, like this wasn't, this, this wasn't about fat shaming. To no, me, not at all. Was, was, this, was, was, this was almost about, about shaming someone who at their core is really kind of a narcissistic sociopath. But that's right. a hard thing to externalize visually. And I mean, how do you externalize that visually? I mean, the best possible way to probably do that is the fat suit. There's no other yeah. way, like there really isn't a way to sort of visually externalize a character fault, a character default in that way. It's not necessarily the fat that is the character default. It's what led to the fat that was the character yeah. default. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's shaming him for his size. Um, I think probably that argument, because there are people who, who are obese that can't help it, there are, yeah. and then I think that's a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, and I've heard, I've heard people say that they should have had somebody who's obese to play the role as opposed Ugh, to, that's which, so, I mean, <laughs> to me, that is so. I can't believe someone would say that. Like, first of all, here's a character who can't walk. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, how could this, you get a, an actor who is that obese, who's been going to auditions or going on set or going on the stage? I, I, I mean, that would be impossible to find. I mean, to find someone with the skill to yeah. pull it off. I mean, this is a hard heart i just oh my god where where have we gone in this society <laughs> that, that actors well, can't I mean, act anymore you know so well, even, even arguing back to something we said on the avatar conversation which will remain forever in our thoughts <laughs> but just because when avatar 2 came out there were people who were like you know there really needed to be more representation for indigenous people in avatar 2 it's like they're all blue people. Nobody <laughs> who's blue is auditioning for Avatar 2. Yeah, we need more blue people is what <laughs> real blue people next time. Oh God. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously that's a that that is a complicated discussion. I mean, I think there are some valid points in regards to that. But in this specific case, I'm like, oh, yeah. no, come no, no. on, that's just ridiculous. Agreed. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think uh, I mean. I think in the case we've addressed already with Fraser's story, because I think I think Fraser could connect with this character because he, in some ways, he went through it. He's talked about that uh, after his abuse, the incredible depression he went through, and how much weight he gained because of it. Um, but and I think you're right. I think that's the soul of this character. 
Um, I think now we want to see representation, and I think on all level, I think that's what we we want. Oh, I agree. That's what yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. But I think I think you're right. I think the soul of this character. I think it's. I, I think Fraser under uh, could connect with this character in a in a different way. Um, than than someone could. But I oh, man, I just think it's such a. Well, you know, actually, that's an interesting too, because I you know we talked about talked a little bit about um uh people are amazing and i i think i think this ties into the next thing i want to talk about too because he's obsessed with finding one true thing he talks about that he 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 argues his students he you know he it's so funny to me that his students throw him under the bus for his email that he sends out you know because he says your complaints have been heard and now i've been replaced but he was leaving anyway is essentially farewell messages, you know, write something honest, uh, whatever it may be. But I, I'm just wondering for you, for you both, what is the power of, of one true thing in this film or just, or just in general? And, and does that tie in with People Are Amazing or does it not? It can. I mean, Again, I mean, more in relation to this film, I mean, I would say it just goes back to his need for for something. Like someone who's sort of looking at, you know, the, you know, he's he's he knows he's getting closer and closer to the end and he needs a win and he doesn't feel like he's had any and he wants something to be that win. But I mean, on a grander scale, I mean... There is something true that, you know, we can all hold on to sort of that idea like, oh, if only just this or if only that or if only X or if only Y would happen, then life would be better. And I mean, I think that's something that's relatable to all people. But I mean, at the same time, it's not always the realistic thing either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think. I agree. I mean, I think it's it's complicated, right? Like one, he wants to, to feel as though he's done one true thing. So it's like, what does that what does that really mean? I mean, what is what is is it? I mean, I think from his point of view, it's doing something for someone else. Or, but ultimately, as you said, Dave, he's really he's doing this for himself. He doesn't want to leave thinking that he was such a bad father and that he was this. So is that really, is that, I mean, he's doing the right thing, obviously, but, but you're right in the sense that he is doing this about himself and he's sort of delusional about it, uh, about what he's really achieving with this, with his daughter, Ellie, um, you know, so it, it's a tough, it's tough. It just outside of the film, is there one true thing? I don't know. It's, it's, it's it's a difficult question. I mean, I think we're all we all want to feel that we've been validated or done something for others and accomplished something for ourselves. Um, so it's a tough question. I mean, also in terms of are is everybody wonderful? I mean, I think everybody has wonderful things in them, but it's just there. Are, you know, some people are are truly wonderful, and then some people have their 
it's whatever whatever was wonderful in them is deep buried and <laughs> no one you know some of these things the atrocities you see that people commit are like how uh i think that's why people get interested in true crime often because they're thinking what makes someone kill you know four people or whatever or go on a rampage um so i mean i think i think certainly everybody has things in them that are wonderful but i don't think everybody is quote unquote wonderful i mean we're all flawed and com complicated but again i think that goes down to his 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 simple view of of others you know i mean he is sort of but i, I at the same time i think it's interesting because this religious aspect of the film comes in and here's this evangelical young man who right off the bat knows that Brendan Fraser's gay, you know, catching and masturbating to uh, gay porn. And so his whole goal, you don't know, really know until later why he keeps going back. But I took it as he was like, oh, here's a gay man I have to save. And what's interesting is that Fraser, who was part of this same church group and now has left, he is in a way using those things he's learned, but not in a religious way uh, in terms of reaching out to his daughter. Like he is looking at it in a spiritual way. And this other person is misguided and looking at it from an evangelical perspective, like, well, you are gay and I have to quote unquote, save you, uh, you know? So I don't know how you both felt about that aspect of it. That, that appealed to me as well, this part of the film. Well, I mean, I think the sociological, you know, you know, manipulations of religion would probably be an entire other podcast in and of itself. But I would <laughs> yeah. on that for another day. But it, it does strike a very interesting tone because, again, it's one of those things where the this evangelical kid comes in immediately assuming he's better yeah. than Brendan Fraser. It's like I have to save you, I have to redeem you because you're this horrible person. And it's Brendan Fraser sort of struggling with the realities of that, trying not to be this horrible person, even though he knows he actually is this horrible person. And it's not because he's gay or because he's right. fat, because he's horrible. Right. Yeah, I I loved how brutal this film was <laughs> in some ways because i thought this was such an interesting tension throughout the film you've got ty simpkins's character i can't remember his name but the 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 kid from new life church thomas i've just got it here on imdb thomas, thomas that's it and i think that so much of this thing because i mean brendan fraser is talking to everyone who listen to, to tell him the truth. But it's not necessarily, he, you know, I, I think he, he carries, well, obviously we talked about the burdens he carries about himself. I think he just wants people to be honest about themselves. As well. He does it with his students. He begs his daughter to do it. And eventually he corners Thomas and screams, and, and, until Thomas screams out what he really thinks. Yeah, yeah. And... And I think, like, this was what I think is so fascinating about the film is that uh, Charlie still believes that people are amazing, even after 
we see he, he wants them to share the darkness of their hearts. Uh, but he's, he, but it's like he accepts the darkness with it. And uh, Charlie's a better missionary than the missionary. Um, he really is. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I really felt that as well, you know, which was interesting because you, you, I, you, you see that some of the, you know, some of these things that he has learned is, is good in terms of the way he treats others. Like I, I felt that he got some of those things because he was in this religious curve. I mean, he welcomes that guy into his house. You see yeah. the way Liz treats that guy very different. She's like, get, she's like, get out of here as soon as she knows who he is. Uh, but he doesn't do that. He treat, he is more empathetic and compassionate towards him. I mean, he is like, you know, he's, he's, he has more of a spiritual presence in, in that way, just that maybe he's naive about it, you know, <laughs> which again was compelling for me. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, but I mean, so much of that can also really relate to just, I mean, sort of the, the awareness that we have about mental health issues right now, because I mean, really, you know, it's not the accepted thing to sort of talk about your dysfunction or be honest about it. It's it's more grandly socially acceptable. Like, oh, well, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. When in reality, there's nothing like everything's wrong with all of us. Yeah. We would yeah. actually be healthier if we sort of admitted it and talked about it. A lot oh, absolutely. Trying to cover it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, continue. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Did I cut you off? No, no, no. Um, Hong Chao says at one point, what I like about religion is that it assumes everyone is an idiot and they're incapable of saving themselves. <laughs> and um, it's, fantastic. <laughs> it's a fantastic line. And uh, But then I think, you know, so much of this, you know, Dave, you brought up mental health so much of this film is about grappling with shame and yeah. and uh you know you've got charlie who who knows what he did and he wants to try and make it right um and then you've got this then you've got thomas who can only talk about the end times and yeah. saving yourself from the flesh or being saved from the flesh and it's like yeah, and that Jesus is going to come back and start a new earth, like everything he thinks. Again, he's almost he's more delusional than Brandon than Charlie. <laughs> you know, it's like everything has to have some. You got to grasp it from the way beyond. It's like, no, how about you just? How about we just treat each other better? You'd see a lot more better in this earth. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which at at like the which is at the core of every ranger religion on the planet. But when you start mm -hmm. externalizing all these other things and all these shame issues, that's where things start to get a lot more complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, you guys know, like, I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm a pastor. Well, yeah. And I'm like, I know that guy. Yeah. I know that guy. Um, and, 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 and I hate that guy. Um, because I think Charlie understands. But again, should, but again, should you hate that guy or should you feel no. sympathy for that guy? 
No, that's no, a but you know what point. I mean. Yes, you know what I mean. Right, because then you you find out he's also a fraud, right? Like his like he's just running away from home and he's scared of his parents, <laughs> yeah. which again was interesting. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I thought I I, I didn't really hate anyone because uh, I I felt that he was empathetic towards everyone, but he certainly was the mo- the the hardest person to feel for was this guy. I felt. Uh, you know what? I will rephrase. I will rephrase my statement from "I hate that guy" to "I've been hurt by that guy." Mm, mm, and, yeah. and maybe at yeah. one time I was that guy. Um, yeah. Right. You know, but like, um, this is a film I would show to my church, and I, I I'm planning on it because I think that's a good idea. I, there's so much at play in this film, and. Uh, I, man, I I think I think that Charlie, Charlie's got his issues. Charlie's been broken. Charlie has been broken, and he has broken himself. There, there are yeah. things that have been done to him, and that he has done. Uh, I'm not saying Charlie is an innocent soul. He isn't. He he wouldn't say he is. Um, but my goodness, he believes in hope, and nobody else yeah. seems to. Yeah, he has he has faith, which is important. I mean, that is for the soul, you know, that is it's 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 you know, being even though he is naive about some, it is it's 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 crucial to to have faith. You know, it's like in uh I remember Steve and I, you and I touched on Miracle on 34th Street yeah. <laughs> recently, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. And there's that great line where the lawyer says, Well, faith is something along the lines of faith is is what you have when common sense tells you uh, this can't be true or this can't happen or something along those lines. And that's very f- what Brandon Fraser is like uh, in this character, this in this film, uh, in in good ways and in bad. But I again, which which I was innocent and sweet about him. And what also was, I was curious uh, what you guys thought of Dan the Pizza Man, because here's this guy who doesn't see him and he's just like yeah the cash is at the door um and you you get the impression that he is worried about you know charlie inside and everything okay and then afterwards he introduces himself and then he opens the door and and he's and he's clearly uh well you know i mean he's a he's a minority i mean he sound he doesn't have an accent but i just thought that was interesting that um we see everybody in this who, uh, well, with the exception of Liz, is you know is white and broken and struggling, and and here's the guy who's a minority and who's he's a, he's a pizza delivery man. So maybe he's a it doesn't really matter, but I just thought that was interesting that they chose for that character to be the the minority who who is now is he's the one who who uh, seems to care uh, the most about this stranger. You know, which I thought that must have been an intentional they something that they were they intentionally put there <laughs> with all that's going on in the world. Maybe I'm reaching for something, but I thought that I don't know what you guys thought about that. I just thought Dan the Pizza Man was really good at his job. No, I'm kidding. Um, that's the, uh, <laughs> too good. He wanted the tip. It's yeah, he's too good at his job. 
No, I, I just thought that it was it was a sign that somebody outside of this inner circle, like I think it was a reminder that in the rain, there's somebody that doesn't suck. Right. Like, he is he. We don't need to know much about Dan. Um. And and all we're hearing is stories of the of horrible people on the outside. Even his students who who, who never say a line, throw them under the bus. <laughs> For, for an email saying, write me one true thing. Forget all the essays and just write me something honest. Uh, I mean, he used it, I guess he used it in an unprofessional way, but that's what he did. Um, but I think Dan is just somebody who's like, oh, you know, there are, there are people that aren't awful. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. There's hope. There is, there is hope outside of, of this, this, uh, um, I don't want to describe his house as hell, but he's he's alienated himself completely from the outside world because of the way the outside world has treated him, you know? So I like that because it was such a small part of it, but it was so impactful to me. Because we all define ourselves by sort of the labels that are applied to us or the ones that we apply to ourselves, when in reality, we just need to treat people, you know, as people no matter their belief system, creed, color, exactly. all that exactly. kind of stuff. It's just people have to treat each other like people, which, yeah, you know, is one of those things that we've, we've lost in, in many ways. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and I think it, you hit it on the head before too. You talk about people being disposable, you know? Um, I think we, we, we have moved into it. It's such a strange time i mean i think we because i think we've started i think i think the last six years seven years we've seen so much damage done this yeah. is one of the things that i like about this film we've all seen this damage we've seen this mm. damage. you know in the church and i say that because the film talks about it but yeah. outside the church and just amongst the general public we've seen this damage oh we've yeah seen broken completely people do horrible things uh, that we didn't know and uh, you know it, it, this is a film that tries to argue not to throw out everything in the midst of that you know uh, it's a reminder there is no black and white there is it is the shades of gray when it comes to just what makes up the human spirit and the human soul yeah yeah, I totally agree. That's such a profound statement that I actually have nothing else to add to. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Dave. There you go, Dave. Drop. Yeah, here, 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 here's my mic dropping it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we all work with mics. Don't drop your mic, but metaphorically, yeah. you can. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that either of you want to say about this film? I mean, before I don't we think we skip it, all that stuff. I don't think go, I, go I just want to blank, it's, go into it with a blank slate. Don't have any sort of preconceived notions of what it's going to be and let it just happen to you as you watch it. I also wanted, I know we touched on the performances, but I, I specifically wanted to say how much I like Sadie Sink, the, the daughter, 
I think mm. she's so good. Uh, I know her um, from my son loves uh, Stranger Things, and and I I was watching it with him. I was like, who is this young girl? Like she's really good, and I'm not surprised that Aronofsky cast her because she just she that's a it's a tough part because it's like she's so angry and she does these she's doing these terrible things in the film, uh, but she had she had to find that that balance between being yeah. the very hurt young woman and and the the um the very angry daughter so i thought she 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 nailed it i thought she was great no you're right it's not a typical performance as sort of an angsty teenager there's definitely layers here and she does deliver a great performance you know it's funny because uh i like i love stranger things but we lost it about most half about two-thirds of the way through season two and then I heard season three was like, eh. So I'm like, well, I guess it's run its course. Because season one, I thought was just like the best. So when season four came out, I didn't see it. I haven't, I'm, I'm, I'm not caught up. So I, I didn't know who she was when this film, when I, when I first saw the film. And then people told me that she was in Stranger Things. I'm like, well, now I have to go watch Stranger Things because she's on fire in this film. And, and it, the second yeah. time I saw it, I really noticed it. Like she's there are so many things going on in her performance where she's reprehensible but likable um there's there's something in her but she's also the worst and she's not just the she's she's been hurt she's not angry she's oh there's so many little things going on in her yeah. in her performance i thought man she's good yeah she's really good um again yeah i think I, she's got a good future for sure yeah, everyone in this film is phenomenal um, across the board. Uh, but yeah, she the the two of them have a really great back and forth. Um, you, you know what I like too? I'll say this too as we're starting to wrap up, I know. But I liked that, I guess it was because it was a play, but there were no like real flashbacks. Like I kind of thought there would be, you know, not knowing it was a play when I went in, I kind of expected there'd be some scenes of like, Oh well, here here's the dinner scene that she's referring yeah. to, or something like that, and they give you some nuances. No, this this is all from memory. It's like this is what happened. Yeah. I remember it. Oh, you just the you... beach. The beach was the, and that was so brief on the beach. That was it. Yeah, it, it let exposition be exposition, which was kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, I appreciated that. Again, I think it was Aronofsky tied down, and I liked that. <laughs> it was like. Get the performances out of your cast, you know, do your little visual cues that you want to do in the, in the apartment and, and, and outside do that. But, but it, you know, like having seen Noah and I actually thought Noah and mother were fascinating. Like yeah, I, I got I, I got to see defender. those. Yeah. yeah. I, but I, I, I was a defender of, of Noah. Um, Noah actually reminds me of this film for this, for, because of the backstory because with Noah, the, what, the way he described it is he was, I think he was nine years old um, and uh, growing up in, uh, uh, he's Jewish and he was, in, he was in school and he drew a picture of Noah and he wanted to make the film ever since then because he was really struck by, by this film. And then he, you know, his journey has taken him to make, make this film uh, because the hurts and things of, of his own life come out and they came out through the film. 
I see that in this one with, with Hunter's script. Uh, because I would argue that Noah feels personal, even in its grand scale. It feels like a very personal uh, piece to me. And uh, that, man, I thought, so in some ways, it's a really interesting arc to get you from the wrestler to the whale. And you've got these weird psychotic films in between. It's, it's kind of fascinating. But mm -hmm. uh, Gentlemen, I appreciate your time. I appreciate everything that we've been able to talk about. We should screen it or skip it. The Whale, screen it or skip it. Robert? Oh, I, I'd, I'd screen it for sure. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I, I have I have my problems with it, but I, I again, I do think it's good. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if you have, a, if you have, if your experience was like mine, because I'm thinking maybe I should see it again, because I said it, there's a lot, the first time around, it's just, it's just, you're being thrown information, information, information. So uh, now that I know all that, I probably would be able to enjoy it more or see more next time. So certainly see it, screen it for sure. Oh, and agreed, screen it. I mean, it is a, it is a story that has a lot of emotional layers, but at the same time, if you're coming into this as an Aronofsky fan, like you said, Steve, this is very much almost his most, most reserved film at the same time, which makes it that much more interesting. I think it's the first time we've seen him as a filmmaker really layer on some genuine emotional sort of pathos to it all rather than just sort of an externalized narrative that we may have seen in, inside of mother or inside of you know even something like noah or even you know even going further back to like black swan or the wrestler which they all have their similarities but they're not quite as intimate and scaled down as this film is and it's definitely a screen it I actually forgot about Black Swan. I don't know how I forgot about Black Swan. Somewhere, I guess that was post-Wrestler, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, that's right after the Wrestler. Man, I forgot about that film, yeah. Um, I mean, also dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, with Aronofsky, the thing <laughs> I love about Aronofsky is his films, you're, you're not always going to like them. In fact, a lot of times you won't. But they're always worth talking about, like every single time, because they're he's the even in his maddest his his madness, he's trying to say something. And oh, uh, oh, certainly, yeah, no, he's certainly a filmmaker that is worth exploring. I mean, he again, I don't necessarily have strong feelings about his movies, with the exception of the wrestler. But he is he is exploring really interesting characters and topics. You know, which is you can't say that about everybody. <laughs> you know, that's about true. <laughs> so I'll give him. You know, he's he is interesting. That's for sure. Uh, I'd like to see this remade by Michael Bay. And, oh no, God! <laughs> <laughs> no, I. It's a screen it for me. I. I. It is a now. It is a performance based. I, I want to say it's thunderously quiet because I think the performance are like, you know, let's go. Um, but it isn't a film like it, it's, it's such a, a tight film. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are going to walk out of it and say, I, I don't know how I feel about this. It's that sort of thing. 
Um, it was very grim. Was, yeah. Is. Yeah. It it is grim, but and, and you know it's funny. You know, Robert, you mentioned about that ending, and it's like, you know, it is not subtle. Although now I'm questioning what it actually means. But I, I think that I think that was just Aronofsky saying, trying to hammer home the fact that the world isn't entirely awful. But I, man, I just think it's a powerful film. I think the performances are brilliant. Uh, go Brendan. Um, and I'm I'm on. I for me, it's a screen it. So. Um, it's so, no Megan, but you know, it's still a good film. <laughs> I take it back. Can we remake this film with Megan in the role? <laughs> I would. I'd like. I'd like to see her do that dance as she's, you know, talking about people are amazing. Let's. Uh, let's go. Let's. <laughs> um. Oh my goodness, guys! Thank you. Uh, I appreciate your time because I know you're both busy. You both have busy lives, but you will both have great stuff. So. Uh, how can our listeners and viewers connect with uh, connect with you and and your your content? Well, I'm on YouTube. My YouTube channel is YouTube.com/slash Robert Belisibo at the movies. There's also an audio version. Uh, so not every episode from the YouTube channel is on the audio version of the po- of the of the podcast, but you can find a number of episodes on any platform, any audio podcast platform. Um, I'm on Twitter at RB at the movies and Instagram is at Robert Bellissimo at the movies, same with Facebook. So you can find me pretty easily. Even if you just Google my name, it'll, the, the YouTube channel will pop up. As always, everyone, my name is Dave Voigt and I am the editor and, uh, owner and host and producer of, well, in the seats, it's called in the seats.ca for all the latest and greatest from the world of film, television, basically the moving image at large which we love to write about and talk about. We love you even more when you come and read about and listen about, because also I am the host and producer of uh, our companion podcast called In the Seats With, where I sit down with a wide-ranging variety of industry professionals, and I pick their brain about current projects, state of the industry, and so very much more in a light and in a conversational fashion, which you can find on all major podcast platforms like Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and plus we archive every single one of our episodes over at our In the Seats YouTube channel. So if you can give us a like and subscribe everywhere across the board, we would absolutely appreciate it. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I appreciate that. Uh, In the Seats and Robert Belisio in the movies are just phenomenal, um, which has been fun because I've been on both. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I've had the experience firsthand, so I can recommend um and and you know if you're gonna if you're going to subscribe to two channels this uh, this year you can subscribe to those but if you subscribe to three you can also subscribe to uh to ours uh screen you can find if you haven't already i mean you haven't already and if you have then subscribe to the other two as well um but uh, as always, you can find us wherever podcasts are available. Um, and if you go to the podcast page, you can download Fishing for More, which are some questions to help you get the conversation started uh, with people that you see the film with. Uh, also, you can find us on YouTube. Uh, look up Screenfish on YouTube. You'll find us where we have both that and the podcast have great episodes of conversations with professionals and, and friends about uh, current films like this. Also, uh, interviews with industry professionals. 
uh, about their current projects as well. Um, so hopefully, hopefully you can connect with us there as well. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys so much uh, for the for this conversation and for you at home. We started the conversation. This was Screenfish. <laughs>